This is Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we unjumble an important and sometimes under-the-radar statewide issue that affects you. Attorney General Dana Nessel recently announced the first exoneration as part of her Convictions Integrity Unit. Some background, Nessel created that unit back in 2019 to go back and see whether new evidence might exonerate people who were convicted of a crime. It took two years, but a conviction has now been overturned. Gilbert Lee Poole Jr. spent almost 32 years in prison for a murder that he didn't commit, according to new forensic evidence. But why has it taken two years to get to this point of a first exoneration? Nessel was recently a guest on WDET's Detroit Today with Stephen Henderson, which our own Jake Neer is a producer of. She says the process itself can be very time intensive, but she says it also has a lot to do with limited resources. I started this office with no additional funding at Mm. all whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And um, you might know the legislature, the Republican majorities, not my biggest fan over there, (laughs) uh, not really interested in, in funding any new initiatives that I put into the office. So it's always a process of me trying to figure out when I create a new division, how am I going to come up with the money to fund it knowing I'm not going to get it from the legislature? No question partisan politics playing into that dynamic there. Uh, but Nessel says she did get grant funding to hire a four-person staff to work full-time on these cases. But that is four people to work on what the office says is 1,300 requests to review old convictions already. But this brings up a bigger question about efforts to reform our law enforcement and legal systems in Michigan. Criminal justice reform has has been one of those few big bipartisan priorities in Lansing in the last decade or so, which I know is surprising. We didn't think there were any left, but this is <laughs> this is basically the one. For example, the legislature passed a law back in 2016 that was signed by then-Governor Rick Snyder to compensate wrongfully convicted people for their time in prison. But since then, the legislature has continually failed to fund the program adequately. And that's still an issue as we speak. And something the governor proposed for the attorney General's budget this year was almost $600,000 for the Clean Slate for Michigan program. That's to support a new law that allows people to have their criminal records expunged. Also, big bipartisan support. The governor had that in her proposed budget, but the state Senate completely stripped it out of the budget this past month. And then there's the extremely bipartisan Indigent Defense Commission. Right now, its operating budget will be cut in half under the current budget in the legislature, which is honestly, it's baffling. Mm -hmm. This is a commission championed by the most conservative of conservative Republicans with overwhelming support from Democrats as well. And now the legislature could chop its operating budget in half. I... I I got nothing. (laughs) No words. But you notice a pattern here? I mean, programs to address criminal justice issues get significant bipartisan support. Lawmakers, of course, tout these achievements of making these ideas law. But once the actual bills come due, you actually have to, you know, pay for these things. The legislature decides that it doesn't want to pay for it. This is especially timely now because it's budget season in Lansing. Overall, Governor Whitmer's budget proposal would spend over $90 million on various criminal justice reforms, we'll just have to wait and see how much of that remains intact. (music) 
So as you heard earlier, Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel was recently on WDET's Detroit Today with host Stephen Henderson to talk about a lot of these things, a lot about wrongful convictions in Michigan and what justice looks like for people who were wrongfully convicted. Uh, And again, that case of Gilbert Lee Poole Jr., who is the first person that's been exonerated as part of her conviction integrity unit. Uh, Again, he was wrongfully convicted of murder in 1989. And that's where this conversation starts. We wanted to bring you just a piece of this really extensive conversation between Stephen Henderson and Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. And you can hear the full conversation at WDET.org, or you can go to the Detroit Today podcast wherever you get your podcast, probably the same place you're getting mishmash. Just just search Detroit Today and you will find it uh, in the archives there. Uh, But again, really fascinating conversation. So here is just a piece of it uh, between Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel and Detroit Today host Stephen Henderson. So let's start with Mr. Poole. Tell me about his case and what led to it being reexamined. Well, you know, he was convicted uh, in 1989 of a 1988 murder in um, uh, Oakland County took place uh, in Pontiac. And, uh, you know, the information that was presented at trial and that they had at the time it was based on uh, bite mark evidence, essentially, in, in, in large part, which has been widely debunked since that time. And there was DNA left at the scene of a pretty grisly stabbing murder. Uh, and at the time, they did not have the DNA testing forensic um, laboratory uh, ability that they have now. And so when this case was reevaluated years later, uh, he was excluded. He was specifically excluded from uh, the DNA that had been left at the scene, which clearly showed that in addition to the, the victim's blood, uh, there were uh, there was lots of DNA from an, uh, another individual, but that individual was not Gilbert Poole. So the evidence that was presented at trial, um, you know, was largely inaccurate evidence. Uh, was inaccurate evidence, and we know from DNA that he could not possibly have been the person who committed the murder. Hmm. And so last week he was uh, exonerated. We had a motion before um, Oakland County Circuit Judge uh, Ray Lee Chabot, and uh, we presented our motion um, to set aside the conviction. The motion was joined by uh, Karen McDonald, the Oakland County prosecutor, and he was freed. One of the things that's really scary about this case is this is not just a, a, a case of you know an eyewitness saying something that was was unreliable uh, or circumstantial evidence that that winds up convicting somebody. I mean, there was actual uh, forensic evidence here that that turned out not to be reliable. And I think it really points to the desperate need to have things like this con- conviction integrity unit to go back and, and really look at, at some of these cases. I mean, this is not the way that I think most people imagine that wrongful convictions happen. Yeah, so, you know, I'm not I'm not 100 years old, but I've been practicing <laughs> criminal law for quite some time. And I will tell you that a couple types of evidence on cases that we're looking at right now, 
were routinely used in the time that I was a prosecutor. So bite mark evidence, I didn't question it. We used it all the time mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in a litany of different types of cases. And since that time, we know uh, that evidence that it seemed right, you know, when we were presenting it, you'd take the, the evidence that was found on the victim, you'd take uh, the dental records of the defendant, you'd overlap them, and you had an expert who said, yep, there's, you know, one in a million chances could be anybody but this guy. And you'd be like, well, that seems right to me. I'm a lawyer. Mm-hmm. I'm not a scientist. We used it all the time. And we now know that that type of evidence utilized in this case was not accurate. Same thing with arson evidence. I can't tell you how many cases I had that we presented a certain type of evidence to say, we know that this fire was intentionally set uh, and somebody would be convicted of murder. And we'd find out later that that type of arson evidence was not reliable and it well could have been an electrical failure in the household. Um, and somebody is sitting in prison for killing their entire family when really it was just a horrible accident. Um, so we're not talking about the types of forensic evidence that was presented a hundred years ago or 200 years ago. I mean, this is stuff that has happened over the course of actually a short period of time. And, and that's why, as you suggested, it is so incredibly important that we have these types of units. You know, Kim Worthy was the per- first in our state to enact one of these in her office. Mm-hmm. Um, and in just in the short period of time that she's had it, I think I want to say it's only been around for about three years in her office. But I think she's exonerated over a couple dozen people. And I felt as though it was so critical that we have one of these statewide Because as you know, I have statewide jurisdiction with the Department of Attorney General, and that means we can go into any county anywhere in the state, and when we find that a wrongfully convicted person is serving, you know, decades or their life behind bars, we have the ability to do something about it. Yeah. Um, Give us a sense of how the process of identifying those cases works. As you say, you can go anywhere in the state to, to, to review these cases, what's what's the way that that you choose cases like uh, like Mr. Pools? Well, we you know allow anybody to apply, and in fact, I think most um, mostly this has been disseminated throughout the Michigan Department of Corrections. Uh, but you know, we have protocols, we have an application process. To date, we have over a, a thousand formal applications that have been sent to us, and we have. Uh, over 100 cases that we're working on collaboratively uh, with uh, Cooley Law School, who has their own Innocence Project. Um, and, and we have a number of cases that right now we're in the process of testing the, the DNA. But when we have a case that comes to us, what we look for is new evidence that would exonerate the person uh, or a situation like we talked about where there is evidence that has been completely debunked we're not looking to retry the same case and say, well, if it was retried, um, is there some sort of due process violation that another jury might come to a different conclusion? We're really looking for new evidence. And that happens when, when you test for DNA that was never tested for in the first place. Hmm. Uh, you know, and that, that is most of the cases that we're looking at right now because those cases are so clear and so obvious. And again, we're not looking for cases where it might be that the person is not guilty. 
We're looking for cases of actual innocence where we can definitively say we know that that person did not commit that crime, could not have been the perpetrator, uh, so that we can be absolutely assured that the system, you know, did not operate correctly and that person deserves to be freed. Yeah. Uh, this is a unit that's been around now about two years since uh, uh, since you were elected, and this is the first uh, exoneration. I think uh, that that length of time suggests maybe how how hard it is to to identify cases that that seem ripe for this kind of review to review them and then to come up with uh, with a conclusion. Well, yes, they are time intensive. There's no question about that. And even the testing for DNA can take a very long time. But to be fair. You know, I I started this office with no additional funding at Mm. all whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And um, you might know the legislature, the Republican majorities, not my biggest fan over there. (laughs) Uh, Not really interested in in funding any new initiatives that I put into the office. So it's always a process of me trying to figure out when I create a new division, uh, how am I going to come up with the money to fund it knowing I'm not going to get it from the legislature? Mm -hmm. So uh, this was a process of trying to find grant funding that could be utilized to hire the appropriate staff we had. I started out and I hired uh, Robin Frankel, who was a really well-respected defense attorney, and, uh, and, and she started putting the processes in place, but then she had to apply for grants so that we could get investigators to assist her and other attorneys. Uh, and so we now really sort of have a four-person unit to um, assistant AGs and two investigators who can work full time on these cases, but even getting that into into process and also getting our protocols in place that we were going to use and sorting through all the initial applicants that took some time. And then once we you know had all that in place, then we could really start investigating the cases. So I think it took a little bit longer to get this off the ground than it would normally. But yeah, it is it is definitely a process to investigate these cases. And again, if we're going to go to a court and say, this conviction should be set aside, this man or woman deserves to be exonerated because they are actually innocent, we want to be 100% sure of our conclusions. Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel speaking with WDET's Stephen Henderson on Detroit Today. Again, if you want to hear the full conversation, which includes so much more about her office, what they're doing, what justice looks like for wrongfully convicted folks, and so much more, uh, you can go to WDET.org or you can go to the Detroit Today podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Detroit Today and look for it in the archives. Well, that's all for Mishmash this week. I'm Jake Neer. And I'm Shana Roth. Thanks for tuning in.